Coming up on the Men at the Movies podcast, we discuss the 1988 movie Willow. The main characters think that they are less than, they are not enough. Their behavior is motivated trying to prove their value to the crowd watching. It's only when Willow resists the temptation to validate himself and accept the truth of his identity that he accomplishes his purpose and his mission. Ignore the bird, follow the river, and let's discover God's truth in this movie. The movies and stories we love are gateways to see ourselves and God in new ways. Every great story borrows its power from a larger story, the story that's written on our hearts and woven into the fabric of our very being. Hello and welcome to the Men at the Movies podcast. My name is Paul McDonald, and joining me is a fellow North Carolinian, a uh, new guy to the podcast, uh, Brian Mitchell. Hey, Brian, how you doing tonight? Doing great. Thanks for having me. We are we are fresh off the Panthers draft, the first round. Hope for the future of the franchise. It's it's also funny. Not a lot of the guests on here are sports fans, so it was exciting to to talk about a little bit Panthers football with you when when we first got on. <laughs> oh yeah, I am a big Panthers fan. I love this state first in flight all the way. <laughs> so you don't you don't you don't buy into any of those rumors that the Wright brothers weren't actually the first ones to fly. No, no, they definitely came down from Ohio and <laughs> flew right. On our coast. (laughs) Thank you, Wright Brothers. (laughs) So I met Brian through uh, Troy and Stacey Hooker, who we did uh, the Born Identity with. I'm trying to get them to do more because that was such a fun conversation. So Willow is a movie, you know, came out in 88. This seems right up. You also know Sarah from Realm Maker. So this seems like a movie that's right up her alley. She's probably going to be super upset that we did it without her. Tough nuggies, as they say. Sorry, Sarah. <laughs> so Brian, when when I brought this up, when, when we got introduced, we're going back and forth on email. Why is it that you're like, why was this one of your three? I think it was this one, uh, Legend and Labyrinth. Were those the three? Yeah, they're all in the eighties, right? And I just yeah, I, what I what stood out to me with Willow is that it just has this amazing journey through a fantastical land and all these really great characters, and you see them grow and you feel like you know them. Like I felt like I knew Willow right from the start when he sees the baby in the basket in the river. Like he didn't want any part with that baby, but. Um, it's like he knew that there was some trouble coming along with this baby. So you, I felt like Willow wasn't a fool, but he also has a bigger heart than what he was showing. And he was braver than what he was showing. But it was mostly the characters what that made me decide that Willow would be a great conversation. Right. You sort of see them, and, and I don't know if it's just because, you know, it's. I mean, this was back when I was 13. I don't know how old were you when this one came out. I missed the movie. I couldn't go see it. I didn't see it until it was on VHS or something. And then I forgot Probably. about it. Then I saw it again so many years <laughs> later. And now I can watch it whatever because it's on Disney Plus And plus we got the DVD. So, yeah. 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 Because nobody has VHS 
tapes. If you do have a tape, you probably don't have a VHS player. That was that was us a couple years ago. We have these baskets of tapes, and I tell my wife, "Like we should get rid of these because we don't have anything to play it on." And she really hated it, but I took it to good took them to Goodwill one day when she wasn't looking. <laughs> Goodwill's like, "What is this?" <laughs> <laughs> right now, they're like for a dollar. I'm sure there's somebody out there that has them has a player. So it's interesting because I remember I was just reading something about. It was about music and how in our adolescence, the music we listen to sort of emblazons on our brain and creates these feelings of nostalgia so that, you know, if you're listening to music that you listened to when you were a you know, 12, 15 year old, you're going to be transported and you're going to feel like you did listening to that song back then. That's probably why like Guns N' Roses and Leonard Skinner are, have meaning for me because <laughs> that was what I listened to in my when I consider my adolescence. What about you? What music were you listening to back back in your in your younger years, your wonder years as as it goes? Thrash metal. I'm a big Metallica <laughs> fan. Megadeth, Iron Maiden. Uh, but in the eighties. I was all pop rock. I was into Billy Joel and Michael Jackson when I was a kid. But as when I actually figured out who I was a little bit more, heavy metal met the mix. And after the doom and gloom day of my uh, teenage years, it stuck with me. I just love the power and the feel of uh, power chords and harmonizing guitars. I just love it. That's my stuff. That's right. My music. Jam. Music's not just meant to be heard. It's meant to be felt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's funny. I, we just uh, we, I did a podcast earlier with uh, Grayson, who mixes our podcast. And he's talking about, we talked about, we, we sort of nerded out on the sound design aspect. And talking about how movies, you know, there's this rumble. And it's like, it's, it's, you're supposed to feel it more than you can hear it. Um. So I was so that's sort of I'm I'm getting those same things of when you're looking at the movies or the music when you're looking at the music you've got Metallica and the thrash metal and then what about but the movies you like are much different than those they're not the crank up the volume on them so is this one of those movies that creates that feeling of nostalgia from back from from your youth it does, and the music on it does too. Like I can hear it in my head now. The, the theme <laughs> to Willow. There's a lot of great uh, soundtracks in the '80s as well. Of course, uh, John Williams was one of the greats. He didn't do uh, the Willow's music, I don't believe, but no, was it a, was James Horner. But he's also yeah, a great one. Very great as well. So that's uh, when I think of Willow, a lot of times that song comes right to mind. And I'm going to save everybody by not humming it and whistling it right now. <laughs> if it had words, then you'd be in trouble because you probably would sing it. But there's no words. <laughs> no words. I, just I'm surprised lovely. on the never ending story, Sarah didn't actually sing it, although she might have. I can't remember. So when I was watching it, and I hadn't seen it in many years, but like you said, I felt like even the, I wasn't even sure if I'd seen it all the way through, you know, just watching it in bits and pieces, catching it on TV, like you mentioned. But I thought it was very, it's a very obvious framework for the hero's journey. 
like, you know, some movies sort of stray from it or they they go off on tangents. And this one really stuck to it pretty clearly. You know, you've got a call to adventure. The baby shows up. He resists the invitation. Then something happens that sort of makes him go and enter into the unknown. And and when they leave, that's called crossing the threshold. And that's a scene that you, you really like that we'll talk about. And then along the way, he, he has trials where he, he learns sorcery and learns who he is. And friends are revealed. Enemies are revealed. And there's a certain, uh, you know, he has to go through the death and the resurrection. But all of that is so that he can return home transformed. And we see that at the very end of the movie. And I mean, all the great, a lot of the great stories are framed from that. And, and I mean, I think in a lot of ways, the gospel is sort of based on the hero's journey as well. Yeah, we are the heroes. I, I remember uh, watching a lot on Joseph Campbell and how he came up with that. I, and when I was learning about it, I was like, oh, he's an anthropologist. I didn't know that that would come from an anthropologist. <laughs> right. But it's so true. It's, uh, Star Wars uses it. So many use it. Labyrinth uses it. All these stories I suggested uh, uses that framework. And some people... Uh, Come, uh, use it without even knowing it because uh, every story in school, I remember there's like a, some stuff happens. There's rising action, a climax, and then a resolution. But yeah. uh, that's, that's kind of a very bare bones kind of plot line. But the, the richness comes out if you use a, uh, a framework that people are familiar with, such as the hero's journey. But the cool thing is because we hear stories and we kind of know how they're done, don't necessarily need to be uh, extremely schooled on uh, the hero's journey in order to write a good story or appreciate a good story. But I do think it's so cool. So if, uh, if anyone's listening and they are – interested in learning more about it, definitely look up Joseph Campbell and uh, watch some YouTube videos by the book. It's, it's amazing right there. So you talked about how, like why you picked this movie, but what is it that you, you love? What is it that makes you sort of enjoy, what makes you pick it out on a, on a family movie night and say, Hey, let's, let's watch Willow. Yeah. Um, what, what are you lo- like? What, you know, when you go into a movie, you're, you're, you have expectations. You look forward to something, especially if it's a movie you've seen a few times. So what is it about this one that you look forward to? I love the characters. When I was a kid, I, I loved the brownies. I thought the brownies were the funniest little things ever. <laughs> the way they, they got into everything and the scene with the cat, for instance, and the love potion. He falls in love with the cat briefly. And... Uh, but growing up and growing more mature, and even then, I knew Willow was a, a really cool character that I liked right away. He was kind of like, no, I don't want to put up with this child. There's too much trouble with it. And he already felt like there was going to be trouble with it. And his family took to that baby really quickly. And when that baby took to him and was quiet when he was holding her, um, he kind of fell in love with that baby, Elora Dannon, uh, right away. Mm-hmm. And of course, um, the next really big character we come into contact with is Mad Mardigan. And he has this uh, 
this Han Solo quality about him. And some people thought he was too close to Han Solo, but I felt like he had a bit more of a charm and was a little bit more looking for love than Han Solo ever was. He's supposed to be this great swordsman and he proves that he is, but at the same time he does tricks and he kind of bumbles them. So there's a human quality about it that I like. Uh, And I guess it's his charm and just the way he is. When I was younger, I thought he was great because he's a great swordsman. Uh, As far as Sorsha goes, um, the thing with her is that her mother is the most evil thing in this world. Bavmorda, Queen Bavmorda, mm. and she completely does a 180 and leaves that evil army that she's leading and and changes. This, besides them, um, I'm thinking of some others. Uh, uh, Razelle, that sorceress who... Uh, Willow is seeking out at one point to help out in the journey. She's this animal when they first meet and Willow is trying to change her back into uh, who she was. And eventually he gets it right. But the changes, it was just so funny for me as a child. But um, as I'm growing up, it's there's nostalgia there, but there's always for me, a lot of change and a lot of growth in all these characters, the way that the story progresses. It's, it's the characters that I love about this story. Yeah, and I think we see that with a lot of these more sort of child-friendly, or and especially with the animated movies. You know, they can sneak in some powerful themes because they're, they're a little more simple. Um, you're not making them as, as, I don't know, distorted and caricatured. You know, like a lot of the bad guys for the for the superhero movies are just they don't make any sense. But when you look at each one of these main characters, I think it's it's sort of they're they're Trojan horsing us. They're putting this out there and saying, yeah, this is it's a fun movie. It's something you can watch with your kids. But they're it's connecting to us because our guard is down. Right. And because each one of these, as you were describing those different characters, I'm like, each one of those is less than they, they think they're less than they are. Right. You've got Willow, who's just a peck. That's what the, the, the big people, the humans all call him. Um, you know, he, he's sort of a frustrated, struggling farmer. He wants to be a sorcerer, but a, a sorcerer's apprentice, but doesn't really know how, doesn't trust himself. You've got Mardigan, who I think he has a desire to fight for something, but has probably been disappointed at times. And so he's taken to taking care of himself, doing things for himself. Even when he takes Alora Dannon, he's doing it so they'll get him out of the, the crow's nest he's in. And Sorsha, to me, is a really interesting character because of how she transforms. And she's... In, the, in an early scene, you know, she's sent off to go find the baby, right? But then they sort of send the huntsman with her, the the skull-faced guy. And she's like, why do I need him? And in a lot, like, I see her as someone who suffered a mother wound, right? Like, so many people have of, of trying to appease a mom who will never be appeased, never being enough. 
and try no matter what you do falling short and even Rizel, you know when willow finally gets the gets it right he gets undistracted he turns her back you know when she was turned into a marmot or whatever she is in the beginning she was a beautiful young woman but it's been decades now and she comes out and she's like where's the time gone you know she has become old she's she's not what she thought she was in a lot of ways and that's why i think this movie connects with so many of us in so many different ways is we sort of feel like willow or the sorcerer or bad mardigan or sorcia or ravel where we feel like we're not what we think we are in both good and bad ways you know that that country song uh, I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know that one. <laughs> Toby McGuire. <laughs> we don't normally pull up country music out here, but when we do, it's a good one. And, uh, you know, as I've gotten older, I feel that. It's like I can't run like I used to. I can't play basketball. There's If I sprint, I'm pulling a hamstring guaranteed. <laughs> It's Toby Keith, not Toby McGuire. It came uh, to my head like, who's Toby, Toby McGuire? <laughs> he's a he's an actor. Right. Duh. It was Spider Man. Yeah, Spider Man. I wonder how he w- it would sound if he sang it. Hopefully, better would than be how he danced in Spider Man. <laughs> when when Venom took over, yeah. weirdly, or so one of the one of the scenes that you um, sort of along that concept of of not who we sort of think we are or we're pretending to be is the the sorcerer the sort of the leader of the village and one of your favorite scenes the ones that you one that you liked was early in the movie they discover the baby and there's there's two things sort of there that describe their reliance on magic but even their reliance on magic was shown to be false so here we are it's going to start with the the town council willow has brought the baby in and so he says as we're going into this, as we as we're making this big decision about what to do with this baby and save our village from the the big people, here I'm going to consult the bones, and so and then there's a moment where he's like, okay, follow the bird, and the bird doesn't go where he wants it to. He's like, forget the bird. But this idea that he's in this position of power and leadership, sort of putting on an act so that the others will listen to him. I will consult the bones. Bones tell me nothing. Do you have any love for this child? Yes. Yes, I do. The bones have spoken! Willow Offgood, the safety of this village depends upon you. Raise the bones! Raise the bones! But you will need help. Who has the courage to protect our brave fellow on his journey? I'll go with him. Ah, Migos. Excellent choice. I'll go! No! Not Bunker! He's the best warrior in the village! We need him here! Bunker, step back!
All this expedition needs is a leader. And according to the bones, that leader is you, Burglecut. Bunker! Go in the direction the bird is flying! <laughs> It's going back to the village! Ignore the bird. Follow the river. So, what do those scenes sort of... Uh, what do they point to? What do they say to you, Brian? Well, something you just said was um, pretty profound. Putting on an act so others will listen. I think a lot of times we do that today in our lives we we put on this act thinking that people will listen to us more you know um maybe we go to um a university to get a musical degree some degree in music even though we already are great musicians with our hands but we want people to listen to us we want people to hire us so we go on and obtain some more acolytes uh, so that we can uh, grow and have more people listen to us. Influencers on YouTube. A lot of times they just do, they're not doing everything they, uh, who they are. Uh, I, I learned sometime recently of uh, this child character called Blippy. He did some horrible video a long time ago and that came <laughs> back to haunt him. It's just really Bad, but that's what people that's the link that people will go to to be heard. And it's an absurd kind of thing. And it's, it's a horrible degradation to society that people will do that just to have people look at them. And that's like a prideful thing. And it's, it's a chasing fame. But another thing is uh, with this that I was. Uh, thinking about from what came to my mind when I was thinking about what is it with these scenes? Why do these scenes mean something to me? Uh, when it comes to magic and the use of magic in these scenes, they're relying on something that they shouldn't be relying on to get somewhere. They, they have other tools in their mm. pocket to, to get where they're going. He already knows that they need to follow the river, but at the same time, he's using his, influencer costume disguise to have everyone believe he's this magical person. He is magical. He throws an apple up in the air and becomes a bird. And that bird you cannot change. Uh, <laughs> it's a free bird. Hey, we're going back to Skinnerd. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the bird you cannot change. It's going to go back to the village <laughs> rather than go in the direction it's supposed to. So never mind the bird. Follow the river. Not just... Uh, Guys, y'all follow the river, and that's going to take you where you need to go. But he wants to put on that act. And sometimes it's best to be real, to be yourself, and to use the right tools. Right, because he says, the bone. he told Willow, the bones tell me nothing. It's all something, you know, and they're like, praise the bones! <laughs> Again, going back to the this idea, we think we're not enough. If he just says, in my years of wisdom... Willow, do you love this child? You should go. We need volunteers. And then he manipulates Burgocut into getting the uh, Vaknar, the great warrior. He's like, well, we need him, so we're going to take 
this guy so that we'll get the other guy. So he's manipulating them and he's, but he's not doing it because he's obviously has some wisdom, but he doesn't trust that they'll listen to him without these other sort of ceremony, these, uh, machinations. I, I don't know. That's the word that's popping into my head. Which I think Willow has the same struggle. You know, I was just I was just reading something today. It said, you know, we basically become sort of the average of the five people we spend the most time with. Something like that. And if he's looking, if Willow is looking at this guy, who's sort of more of a thea, I'm having trouble speaking today. He's more theatrical. He's more putting on a show to cover the fact that to, to sort of persuade people. Well, Willow doesn't have any of that. So he doesn't trust himself because he's not like that guy, even though Willow actually is a pretty good, you know, quote unquote magician, you know, the sleight of hand stuff, hiding the pig and doing the other, I can't remember the other trick he did, but there's a scene sort of in between that clip, the two clips I just played that, speaks to Willow's struggle as well as uh, I would say the struggle that we have, not just with our creating, whether that's writing books, making videos. It also comes into play of sort of doing our jobs, being a husband, being a father, because there's many times that I face the situation where I'm like, I don't really feel like I know what I'm doing. I'm totally winging it, totally going out on a limb, dealing with the uncertainty so Willow, in, as part of his test, to, because he wants to be an apprentice for the sorcerer, uh, has to pass a test. And the, the test is the wizard puts up his hand and say, what is the most powerful finger? And as we're going to hear in the clip, Willow didn't go with his first, he didn't trust his gut. He, he did what he thought he should do, not what he knew he should do. And Willow's greatest struggle is also our own. What's your problem, son? How do you mean? When I held up my fingers, what was your first impulse? Well, it was stupid. Just tell me. Pick my own finger. Aha. That was the correct answer. You lack faith in yourself. More than anyone in the village, you have the potential to be a great sorcerer. Now, when you're out there, Listen to your own heart. How do you relate to Willow in those situations where you feel where you're you're trying to accomplish something, but you feel uncertain and a severe lack of confidence, like I said, like Willow does? Oh man, <laughs> going deep. <laughs> There's a it's a lot of times when I'm not feeling totally certain about something. And, uh, of course, there's always Google, but um, yeah. you can't always rely on the Internet for the best answers. Sometimes you really have to reach out to the sages in your life. Um, maybe my dad might know something about fixing the hot water heater in the basement. Um, <laughs> maybe somebody else has a greener thumb than me because neither my, my thumbs or my wife's thumbs are green. And yeah. uh, I'm pretty sure the neighbors are knowing that as well. We have a community around us where we can always ask people for uh, advice when when we are not certain. And sometimes no one's certain because uh, 
life can be uncertain. <laughs> Use the same word. But uh, in traffic, you're not always sure what you're going to meet on the road. You know the rules. You know that others know the rules. But you know that some people aren't going to follow the rules. It's just a thing in life. Yeah. So, Brian, why do you think we have that we're hesitant to ask for help? You know, to ask for the guidance when we are uncertain, like we see Willow. You know, Willow doesn't want to look stupid, whether it's with farming or doing magic tricks or even up there. He does what he thinks the crowd is expecting him to do more than what he feels like he should do. Yeah, I think it has a lot to do with pride. Ultimately, we don't want anyone to see our weaknesses we don't want to be standing in front of a crowd saying, look, I don't have the answers. Because uh, like that whole bit about, uh, we talked about influencers putting on the act so others will listen. If we let other people know that we're vulnerable, maybe they don't want to listen to us. Maybe we would be shunned from the community. Maybe um, our well-being, our, uh, our being who we are will now diminish in the eyes of others when um, that should never be the case, but that's the fear. Yeah. That idea that if we give the crowd others, the, the, the ability, the power to validate who we are or to tell us who we are. Remember everybody tells Willow, you, you're no sorcerer. You're just a farmer and not a very good one at that. And so when we allow the others to tell us who we are, they can also tell us who we're not. Yeah. You know, we're constantly living out of that. And instead of what we should be doing is, is going to, to God with that and, and reminding him. And sometimes even, even the church does this. It's like, oh, you know, when, they, when you say, all, I'm, I'm a sinner saved by grace, while that has a kernel of truth to it, we've also been given a new heart. You know, we, I was at a church a couple of weeks ago and part of their re sort of responsive readings was the one in Jeremiah, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can trust it? I'm like, but I have a new heart now. <laughs> That's not who I am anymore. Every moment I'm not committing a sin because it's like, you're telling me I'm sinning by reading the Bible. I'm sinning by doing something for my wife or my kids. I was like, I, I don't, we, we get that layer of if I'm just a sinner, then that's all I'll ever be. So that idea that I mentioned about the the sort of the average of the five people we spend our, the most time with, there, there is that idea that we can't rise above the friends, the people that we spend time with. It's like if they're at a certain level, and I don't mean sort of economically or uh, vocationally, but if to a certain degree spiritually, but emotionally and uh, sort of, you know, uh, Maybe I don't know what I'm trying to say, but if you surround yourself with people who are at a certain level or they're pursuing certain things, then eventually they're going to wear you down. You can't stand against them all the time. And I think that's what we see with Sorsha because all her life, she's been sort of her, the, the queen's, the mother's right-hand woman. She's the one the queen trusts. But why does she trust her? Because she's going along with her 
bad stuff, right? She's the obvious villain. She's turning people into weasels or marmots or whatever she turns the, the, the enchantress into. She freezes the people in the castle to, to stone. She turns all the army into pigs. She's trying to kill a baby. And what changes her is an experience that she's sounds like it seems like she's never had before. And this is when Mad Mardigan gets hit in the head with the love potion dust. The what was they called? The pick the brownies call it the broken heart. Isn't that what they call oh, I'm it? I'm not sure what they called it. I just remember it was love potion. It was <laughs> glittery and golden. Yeah. And so the they're going in to re- rescue the baby, and he sees Sorsha, and he's overcome. You know this this woman who's kicked him in the face, who's who's dragging him around as a prisoner. All of a sudden, he's professing his love for her, and you see a change come over because this is something that's never happened before. Again, going back to that idea of who we are, who we think we are, when it comes up against somebody else's different vision for us. Wake from this hateful sleep. It deprives me of your beauty. The beauty of your eyes. One move, jackass, and you really will be a woman. You are my sun, my moon, my starlit sky. Without you, I dwell in darkness. I love you. What are you doing here? Your power has enchanted me. I stand helpless against it. Come to me now. Tonight, let me worship you in my arms. Get away from me! I love you. Stop saying that! And I stop the beating of my heart. It pounds like never before. Out of fear. Out of love. I can stop it. I'll kill you. Death next to love is a trivial thing. Your touch is worth a hundred thousand deaths. See, that's that's a line you should probably use on your wife at some point. Your touch is worth a thousand deaths. She'll probably have me test that out. so this was another one of those scenes that that you sort you you enjoy you love and and it's just fun seeing val kilmer playing like this you know a young you know obviously super young val kilmer but what is it about this scene that that stands out to you brian well the fun part is that he's under this love potion spell and they're they're outside of tinder saying get the baby what are you doing get the baby and he's like he turns for the baby at one moment then he goes back to sorsha then he looks back to the baby again then he's back to sorsha and then that takes place and uh as fun as it is to see that happen to see him profess his love in this silly way and how he ultimately charms her what really stands out to me is that he had one job, get the baby and get out. And it would have been so easy. <laughs> All he had to do was get to that baby, get Laura Dannon and get out. But no, he just couldn't. He, he succumbed to the, his desire, uh, Sorsha, who is asleep on the bed. And for me, that's something that's so easy for us to do sometimes. We lose track of what we're supposed to do, what purpose we have, our goals, our mission, uh, our duty. Like I'm a, as a parent, 
it's very easy for me to pick up my phone and play on a game or browse and see the local news, look at the weather. I have a thousand reasons to pick up my phone, but at the same time, my children might be fighting in the hallway, slamming doors and going bonkers. <laughs> and um, am I going to just zone out and keep staring at my phone and let that happen? Or, or am I going to be the parent I need to be and help my children figure out how to deal with their conflict a little bit better. So, but that's uh, there's so many ways that comes into play. Some, some families fall apart because of lust. The father or the mother, uh, they might feel like they're lacking something in their relationship and they have a moment of lustful desire and they'll turn away from their marriage for a brief period and, hurt so many people in the process, not even realizing it. And they know later, and even at that moment that they shouldn't, but for whatever reason, the desire is just too strong at that time. The same thing when it comes to drugs, there's so many people I've known in my life who just really good people, but they're so tied into the drugs and they succumb to that need, that desire for that drug long enough to hurt people and they know they're hurting people and they know they're hurting themselves, but that desire is so strong. And that, I think that's a, that scene says it all for it, even though it's very comical and it's fun and it drives a story and it, and it really pushes that relationship between Mad Mardigan and Sorsha. Just a whole lot of fun, but there's so much we can learn from that scene because it's so easy to turn away from what we're supposed to do and go into our desires. If we can exercise a little bit more discipline to overcome those desirous moments, we can really grow so much more powerful as individuals and affect the world around us in positive ways because we've we're disciplined enough to to face other desires and other problems, other conflicts. And I think this is a sign of of good storytelling is the fact that a scene like this, we can take a scene like this and see we get multiple interpretations from it. Because while we see on the one hand that Mad Mardigan forsakes his duty, his mission, what results from it is ultimately positive. You know, if they had just gone in and snuck out with Alora Dannon, who knows, they might've ended up in the, the wilderness by themselves and tracked down and all died. Because of the comedy of errors that ensued as a result, one, Sorsha begins, her, her frozen heart begins to thaw as you can say, but he ends up re-meeting with Eric down at the bottom of the hill. His, he commits to serving Alora Dannon because Mad Mardigan has a moment where he's like, where Eric's like, Oh, you're, you're a thief. You're only in it for yourself. And for him, it's a moment of clarity. He's able to say, no, this is, this is my purpose. And, you know, ultimately they, they kidnap Sorsha and, she gets enraptured by his sword fighting of the the weird dragon rancor looking thing. <laughs> they're they're exploring some stuff with uh, the 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 computer animation. 
But I, I think that's a that's where we see Joseph at the end of Genesis when he says, what you intended for evil, God used for good. God doesn't call it good. You know, it wasn't good that Willow had to step in and ended up getting captured. Like he put the entire mission at risk. That wasn't good. But what ended up was the rest, you know, you look at the long-term effects, the restoration of Sorsha, the, uh, the, the inspiring of Eric and, and inviting them into your plans. And when, when we do have those moments, cause guess what? We will all have those moments where we know our purpose and we just get distracted by some bright, beautiful thing over to the side that, that it's all is not lost. And as long as we keep remembering our purpose, even when we get distracted, we have to remember our purpose. You know, he, he goes off on the, it reminded me of the, the lampoons Christmas when they're flying down the hill on the shield. (laughs) It just needed that uh, industrial grade uh, lubricant or whatever it. it was. <laughs> that was it. I think, and I think this sort of leads us to the, the the last clip that you wanted to talk about. Again, the the truth is, at some point, we will all come under a spell. I love that you talked about the phone. Um, you know, I several months ago, I took Instagram and TikTok off my my phone because not that I was doing anything bad. But I was losing like an hour just looking at the reels, looking to be entertained, looking at stuff that's funny or, you know, old friends bloopers and clips or, you know, making fun of video games and how kind of ridiculous some of the stuff is. And there's just there's an abundance of stuff out there that can be distracting. But that's exactly what it is. It's distracting. Because we we want a place where we don't have to do that. We want a place where, you know, we, we, we're never a sinner. We're always a saint. We're, we're, you know, we're, where we don't experience the, the Paul in Romans seven, where we do what we don't want to do. We don't do what we want to do. What a wretched man am I? And we want what Willow talks about at the end, where he does his old rope-a-dope, you know, hidden pig trick against Bavmorda and he says, I'm a great sorcerer. I'm going to send her somewhere where you can't get her, where evil can't get her. And you really liked, you really sort of use what Bav Morda's response is as, as a sort of a way to teach your kids. You stupid hat. With my magic, I'll send her into the, into a, <laughs> Yano sorcerer. Into a realm where evil cannot touch her. Impossible! There's no such place! And it's super quick. It's almost like a throwaway line. You sort of know that Willow doesn't really have the baby in his arms. He's just, like I said, rope-a-doping her. But that idea that she's actually... Because sometimes the bad guy does speak truth. You know, the, the truth is, there's not a place on Earth where we can find that evil will not touch us. This scene, um, one thing that comes to my mind now that you've uh, replayed it is one thing that she says early, really early, really quickly, is you're no sorcerer. And that's uh, her taking away Willow's claim and what Willow wants to be, uh, who who he is. He he knows that he has the ability to be a sorcerer. He used a wand that only a sorcerer could use. So he already knows who he is. And she's already denying him that. And sometimes that happens in our life when we confront something that's really bad. And they said, 
oh, you're no man. You know, I've heard that before from people. You're no man. People might say something to, to hurt you, and they know that they're not speaking true. Um, and that's something that we just got to be ready to, um, to face. Now, when it comes to facing evil and protecting the ones we love from evil, in this case, Willow was successful. He, uh, Bavmorda wasn't able to touch um, Laura Dannon. But the thing is, um, our, we're not around our children 24-7 once when they reach a certain age. And once when they get into um, middle school was, was the time for me. So when I started smelling uh, funny smells around different people who were smoking cigarettes and other <laughs> things, and some people were actually <laughs> drinking alcohol who were like only 14 years old around me started getting start getting into these little places because people are exploring kids are exploring this stuff and they're coming across people who don't really mind introducing them to things they shouldn't be introduced to we just have to educate our kids the best we can and hope that they make the best decisions for themselves when they come face to face with bav morta and their and their time but um we have to trust that that they'll inform that when we're facing it ourselves, the way, however we face it, our children, our loved ones, they're watching. Maybe it's not a child. Maybe it's a friend. I had a a few friends who look up to me and if I uh, react to a certain situation with anger, they'll justify it. They'll back me like, Hey, yeah, you did that just right. And then it's going to be, come part of our environment the way oh this is how we should handle things we should we should handle it with violence or with anger you have every right to yell at that person or whatever but if you handle it more peacefully it's, it's something profound happens when um someone's overcome with some sense of peace it's really peaceful and it's really good and it has a <laughs> It's like kicking off endorphins. Like after, if you go for a run for like 45 minutes and your body's just kind of tingling, it feels good and you feel great. It's like you had a cup of coffee and you didn't even buy it or you didn't even make it. But <laughs> when you really have an overwhelming sense of peace that comes over you in the face of a bad moment, it's just like it's like you're coming really close to God. And you can teach people that by the way you react to evil. If, if you want to react, uh, fight fire with fire. That's the song by Metallica. It's an old saying If they're going to fight fire with fire. That's sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes you have to step up and be aggressive or someone's going to roll right over you. Of course you don't want that, but if it's a war on words, if it's a, name calling there's no reason to stoop to that level you have to find the peace and rise above it and um equip yourself and teach your children how to handle it when they're faced with it the the, frequent message that i i've heard hear a lot is that idea that most of the stuff we teach is caught and not taught shown by how we live more than by the things we say uh it was interesting to me as you were kind of talking, you know, going back to this, this theme that's emerged of, we think we're less than we are, or we listen to the crowd to tell us who we are in that moment. She says, you're no sorcerer. Willow doesn't argue. 
because if like you just said if if he was if he fought sorcery with sorcery he's going to lose not because he's not a sorcerer but just cuz she's bigger she's stronger she's more powerful than he is if he fights her on her terms he's going to lose and in order to actually succeed he's got to tap into the other part of him right he's because none of us are one dimensional you know, that's, that's what makes the movies uninteresting to me is, is like, if somebody's just sort of one dimensional, they're this and that's it. It's like, that's a, that's a boring character. And that's like you said, what you enjoy about these movies, this movie is the characters because they're, they're all sort of flawed. They're all figuring it out. They're all just like us. Cause yeah, we can be a great dad in one moment and a terrible one. Five minutes later, we can be, because on, we're wrestling with uncertainty. I don't know if I should do this. I don't know if I should do that. Neither are bad, but you don't know what's going to have the best impact. Like he doesn't argue that he is is a sorcerer because he knows that like you mentioned with the with the wand. He knows he is a sorcerer because he was able to use the wand. But he knows that that part won't win. And so he doesn't try to force who he is or prove who he is. He puts the, his purpose first. You know, his purpose is to save and rescue Alora, Dan, Alora Dannon. And it's only by doing that that sort of he becomes a whole person. He is a farmer. He is a husband. He is a father. He is sort of a sleight of hand trick magician. He is a sorcerer. He is all these things. And he can tap into that, whereas she's just a sorcerer. That's the only trick in the book she knows. She can't be for Bavmorda. If she's looking at him thinking, oh, he must have done it. It doesn't even cross her mind that he, you know, pulled a sleight of hand trick. She just figures he knew some magic more than her and can't fathom it. And so she loses and gets sucked into the nether regions. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds weird. Hey, when I get sucked into the nether regions. Serves her right for turning people in the pig for goodness sakes. <laughs> she gets sucked into the nether realms. That <laughs> doesn't sound any better, does it? <laughs> It'd be a while for me. Okay, I'm gonna calm down. <laughs> we under I understand all those blooper videos much better yeah. now. So she loses and she sort of dies, whatever happens to her, she disappears. And then, like all of it, like we mentioned with the Joseph Campbell stuff, he returns home a more wholehearted person because he's not trying to be something he's not. He knows that yes, he is. He is who he is, right? He is a farmer. He is the father. He is the son, the the hus the husband, and he is the magician. He is the sorcerer. Those are all components. And just like us, we're trying to get, we're trying to become more wholehearted. And it's not just so that we can be, you know, he doesn't stay at Mad Mardigan's side. He doesn't stay at Alora Dannon's side. His job is done. He's got to return home because his true purpose and his true mission is to be the husband, is to be the father and take care of his family. And now he can do that because he's been transformed. And that's the whole purpose of the story. That's the whole purpose of the gospel is for us to be transformed. 
and that comes from within, not without. And all the, you know, we can have a whole other hour long conversation about transformation and how that occurs and all that. But I figure we're, we're coming to a close here. <laughs> and uh, another thing that ties well into that is the fact that sometimes we're going to make mistakes along the way and we can be forgiven. And it's also um, very smart that we remember from the Lord's Prayer, uh, we ask to be forgiven. We should also forgive those who have trespassed against us. If they trespass us against a million times, we can still forgive them. We don't need to forget the last 999 times right. they trespassed against us. But um, we can still forgive them and just try to be wiser about having that person being involved in our lives as much. Yeah, I heard for uh, forgiveness is like if somebody comes in and their transgression was muddy prints across your floor. Forgiveness is the next time they come over, you answer the door. You may not let them in without checking their feet, but you still answer the door. If you don't forgive them, that's sort of like not answering the door. They're at the door, they're ringing the bell, and you just don't answer. So forgiveness, you know, we don't have to allow them to do the same things that they've been doing, but you still, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a process. And honestly, it's a miracle because Forgiveness isn't just hard, it's impossible. <laughs> yeah, it can be. It really is. Uh, especially uh, when it comes to ourselves. There's some things that, even though I forgive myself about the weird things I've done as a teenager, the cringy things, I think about the, uh, the things I said, <laughs> silly things sometimes, but um, it always comes back to me and I just have to smile upon my younger self and like, I forgive you. What were you thinking, pal? Yeah, he was Mad Mardigan with the love, Mad Mardigan with a love yeah. potion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, that was, that didn't make sense. Uh, and then we just say, okay, we we pray that God uses it to uh, move us where we need to be, and hopefully, we don't make that same mistake twice. Yeah. So, Brian, uh, where can people find more about you? And because you you've written a book. So where can they find about you and tell us real quick about uh, the book that you wrote with and uh, Stacy and Troy published it. Yeah, correct? They were great help. They're so much fun. They're good people. And I couldn't ask for a better team to be a part of. Um, I have a website, Brian Timothy Mitchell.com. You can also find me on their website at descendantpublishing.com. My book is my debut book. Um, the ebook, we're keeping it at 99 cents. So um, it's a thank you for giving me a shot. It's the very first work. Um, I feel proud of it. It's a, it's a modern day twist on Dante's Inferno. I did a lot of research on Dante's Inferno, the nine uh, circles of hell, and wondered what it would be like if it was a, uh, if it was really hell and about 17, 1800 years after Dante fell, another guy falls in, but he has his life intact. What would that be like? Who would he run across? Would he be with someone uh, who he could trust like Virgil, a uh, famous poet who he really uh, admires or would it be, um, uh, some other spirit that he shouldn't trust. 
someone who's tricky and who's very good at manipulating someone into a situation and dragging them down. And how would this person affect that world? Would he totally take on the environment or would his living being, his self, uh, be able to affect change in that world, affect change in the other people who have already fallen into that dark world? So those were some of the questions that brought on that book, Infertile Fall. And uh, if you're interested, like I said, it's 99 cents. And for a short period of time, we are giving away uh, free audio books. Um, more on that contest is on my website if you're interested. All right, so check that out. That's briantimothymitchell.com. And I mean, go check out his book because it's 99 cents. It's cheaper than a cup of coffee. Even like regular, just nothing in it, no fancy cup of coffee. That's like two to four bucks nowadays. So it'll be a lot better than that because you never know what you're going to get in that cup sometimes. So check that out. Brian, thank you for your time uh, talking about this movie. And as always, I get surprised at sort of where God leads our conversation and and what what I see out of it. You know, we we talk a little bit about, yeah, I think we're going to go in this direction. And then things just sort of pop up along the way that take us to interesting places. So thanks for thanks for being along for the ride with that. Oh, it was a lot of fun, Paul. We got to do this again. Sounds good, man. And so this has been Brian, Timothy Mitchell, and Paul McDonald talking about Willow. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, if I just wanted to throw this out there, if you wanted to, like, this is a good movie to watch with kids. So I've had some people ask me, they're like, hey, you know, I want to sort of do this with people. I want to look at movies on a, in a deeper level and getting them, getting people to watch a movie is pretty easy. Getting them to listen to a podcast may not be so easy, but on the show notes and on our website at menatthemovies.com backslash podcast, we actually have like more, we could do some deeper stuff, but you have questions. So if you wanted to, you could just watch Willow and then there's going to be questions right there in the show notes. So if it's on your phone, you don't need to make them listen. You don't need to have your kids listen to the podcast. You can just ask them some of the questions and see where it leads. Uh, Cause that's honestly how I approach. I ask Brian some questions and we see what happens. Um, so, yeah. So I wanted to make sure that I had a buddy of mine that, that, was trying to do something like that. So if you you lead in a men's group, you just want to talk about these the deeper themes with your kids. We've got those resources for you to make it super easy and uh, make it. You know, I mean, I'd love more listeners, but you know, if it's a hard ask sometimes, if it's you know if it's your teenager kid. So yeah, so those are available. Check out check them out, and check out Brian's website. And I hope you join us next time here on the Men at the Movies podcast. Something inside has been awakened. I can no longer be who I was before. But if I am no longer who I was, who am I to be? Who am I to be?